Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Richard Schreiber. Richard is the father of a 16-year-old autistic girl, Katerina, and the founder of the New York City Autism Community Group in Manhattan, which was created to help parents with children on the spectrum navigate their day-to-day challenges. With a background in tech, Richard's passion is to bring innovation and career opportunities to autistic individuals so they can better themselves and live the lives they deserve. In today's conversation, we discuss Richard receiving his daughter's diagnosis, services she received growing up, including ABA and medical intervention, a memorable moment when Katerina proved others around her wrong, how Richard and his wife are preparing their daughter for adulthood, what he's learned about himself from being a father, how society can move towards more acceptance and inclusion, support and resources offered at the New York City Autism Community Group, and the New York City Autism Tech Careers and Innovation Expo, which, due to unforeseen circumstances, has been postponed until September this year. In this episode, discover what's possible when innovation brings connection. To learn more about Richard and his work, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our online community at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you Richard Schreiber. Hi, Richard. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Could you please briefly introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Richard Schreiber. I characterize myself as a husband and the father of a neurodiverse daughter who I'm intensely proud of. I am a IT type by uh, vocation, if you will, but I'm also an autism advocate, having co-founded the New York City Autism Community Group with uh, my wife about five, six years ago. Happy to be here. All right. So tell us about your daughter. How old is she and what are some of her interests? Wow. Where do I start? Uh, My daughter will be 16 in about a month, actually. Actually, a month from today. So we don't know what she wants to do for her sweet 16, but um, she's a very bright, very artistic. She goes to an art school here in New York City, one of the finest art schools, in fact, called um, High School of Art and Design, where she's studying cartooning. Ah, super cool. Yeah, she's very talented, but she's also very smart. She was a STEM student through middle school and has always done well in math, science, and kind of has an engineering brain, too, to go alongside of her artistic side. Great. Okay. So what was it like for you and your family when your daughter received her diagnosis? Well, it was kind of disruptive, to say the least, because uh, it wasn't until she was six or seven that we officially had her diagnosed. I think before that, we kind of realized, Rachel, that she was different 
But, you know, we're talking about eight or nine years ago, or at least initially, 15 years ago, when my wife and I didn't know what autism was about. Our reference point was probably like most of us in that it was that movie directed by Barry Levinson about uh, with Tom Cruise and and uh, Dustin Hoffman, Rain Man. Mm-hmm. That autistic people were these mathematical savants and kind of behaved curiously. Our our daughter, she had some unique characteristics. We had this fun CD that she liked to listen to as as an infant and a toddler, and she would spin around like a top. And we noticed she never got dizzy. So that was kind of a, a curious thing. But that was sort of the first tip-off that she was different. But it wasn't until first grade when a special, where her teacher, who had training in special ed, special ed needs, really was able to kind of inform us informally through the school. They had a procedure that, yes, she needed to be evaluated. And uh, yeah, that was when she was about six or seven. Okay. Did you talk to her about her diagnosis then? Yes, we've always been very upfront and transparent with our daughter. So she knew. I know it's curious that some parents sometimes don't necessarily, it's difficult to confront for sure when you get that first inkling or at least more of official nod that yes, your child is on the autism spectrum. Of course, my wife didn't know what really that meant. And, uh, you know, we quickly kind of put ourselves in the mainstream, I guess you could say. So a psychologist, my daughter was prescribed with Adderall, which was the second or third of the stimulant drugs that are often prescribed for kids with ADHD and autism. And we enrolled her in ABA services shortly thereafter. That was our initial kind of expose to it. Like most families, I think that's where you end up as a starting point. Mm-hmm. What was the experience with ABA like? Um, I have to say uh, it was, in general, it was pretty good. But um, And that's because we had a voice. My wife and I, we used to meet on a pretty frequent basis with the ABA provider here in New York. And, you know, we would give them some heads up and some advice. But, you know, there are clearly some aspects of... ABA services that I think necessarily aren't in the best interests of the child sometimes, because again, they're trying to reinforce certain behaviors that are more neurotypical, and that doesn't always go well for someone who's on the autism spectrum. For example, you know, my daughter has Asperger's, so, you know, she does have some challenges, you know, small talk and making eye contact and really picking up on social cues. So part of ABA services is to kind of gently encourage interactions. And my daughter would react to that saying, why would I necessarily strike up a conversation with a stranger that I wouldn't normally do? So yeah, there there were there were some elements of that where we had to say, whoa, let's let's not go there. Let's not force our daughter to necessarily approach people. Let's kind of give her a little more time and a little more of her own direction in in, in that sense. Okay, got it. So you started off with ABA and prescribed Adderall, and where did you go from there? Well, I think it all came to our watershed moment that I always describe as a family was when my daughter graduated from elementary school at age 10. She had been on Adderall at that point about three years, 
And it was her last day. She was, I was picking her up at school and I noticed she was off by herself and she was crying, which she never does. So that really caught my attention. And while all the other kids were signing yearbooks, talking to teachers and each other, et cetera, I went over to her and I asked her, I said, Katerina, what's wrong? And she said, Daddy, for six years, nobody wanted to be my friend. And that just kind of hit me like a, a knife in the chest. And we knew right away it was a combination of the fact that, you know, Adderall is a drug. Yes, it did address some of the symptoms, but it also left her stupefied and really less than who she really was. And along with incredible weight loss and, and some other side effects. And ultimately, our daughter asked us to take her off the drug. And we did. My wife subsequently did some research and we became an expert in essential oils. And my wife is now a distributor for doTERRA. And they have a line of of essential oils and supplements that are specifically targeted towards kids on the autism spectrum or who have ADHD. And when we started giving that to our daughter, the, the results were remarkable. I mean, it was like night and day. It was like watching a flower blossom in front of our eyes. It was really transformative. And I know that's a word that we all tend to think gets overused, but that was really what it was about. So, you know, now my daughter is the life of the party. She's very outgoing. You know, she's become who she is, which is really the, the biggest testament. You know, she's very comfortable in her own skin, but now she has no filters, no barriers to be herself. Oh, that's great. Is there any science that backs up the essential oils and the supplements? Well, in this country, you have to be careful about making those kinds of statements because we have something called the Food and Drug Administration, which uh, almost censors and controls language that's used by anything that's not linked to the pharmaceutical industry or mainstream approved health products and whatnot. But um, the oils, I mean, we are the proof in the pudding. I can tell you that my daughter, as she takes these supplements, is just a, a remark. It was a remarkable turnaround. You know, I'm not saying that the pharmaceutical option isn't an available one for most families. It just was one that we decided to move in the opposite direction of. Okay. Well, I'm glad that it worked for you and your family. I just, you know, Richard, as a the podcast host, I have to do my due diligence and yeah. and not say that we're backing up one way or another. For sure. Yeah. Totally understand. Okay, great. So we sometimes hear stories of autistic people being underestimated, you know, like doctors mm. saying they'll never go to college or that they maybe will never get married, all of these milestones in life. And we've heard time and time again of how people can be proven wrong. So could you share a moment when your daughter maybe surprised people around her by proving them wrong in a way? Sure. It actually started when she was four years old. Here in New York City, they had that back then they had a program called Gifted and Talented, which uh, was a program for special kids who had special skills and intelligence. And our daughter tested into that at age four. So that was for that was sort of our first glimpse that she was exceptional. And so therefore she was in 
remember I said that for six years, she said no one wanted to be her friend. Well, she was basically in the same group of kids for that time. And interestingly enough, every single kid that was in that program has now gone to high school and are on the honor roll or just doing amazing things, including my daughter. She's been on the honor roll just about every term except one or two since she's been in high school. So that was sort of the first inkling that that she was a pretty special kid. Yeah. And does she have any friends now in high school? Yeah, she does. Okay. She's actually made friends. Um, and uh, my daughter, because of who she is, uh, she's very, very loyal with her friends. And she has a couple of really close friends that she stays in contact with. And that's been really good for her. Oh, great. What are you doing to prepare her for transitioning into adulthood? Well, that's a great question. Between my wife and I, you know, I, I've always said that a father's role, with especially with a daughter, is to prepare her for life and to instill independence, toughness, and self-determination. With an autistic child, that can become a little difficult, but... You know, my daughter is very confident. She's very, as I said, to use the Pedro Motivar analogy, she's very cool in her own skin and very confident. So I expect that she'll be able to, as she has done in high school, you know, be able to navigate through college, whether that's going away or living at home. You know, while there's always concerns about life after school and that kind of thing. I see my daughter as someone who's well-equipped enough to be able to take care of herself and, and, and in a large degree, I think, you know, be successful. Whether she gets married, has children and all that kind of stuff, I don't know. That's, that Rachel, that remains to be seen. But um, yeah, we, we continue to talk to her and explain to her that, uh, the real world is, of course, a little bit more challenging than school. And, you know, you kind of have to prepare yourself. Uh, and part of the expo that we're putting on is to help young adults on the autism spectrum through a lot of interesting tools and technology that are available out there today that can help them with job interviews or job placement or how to work in a work environment. So these are some of the tools that will help with her. Great. And we'll definitely talk about that expo later on in this conversation. Sure. Okay. So is she your only daughter? Yeah, she's our only child. Okay. So when you think about her future, uh, when a lot of parents of children who need support in life think about their children's futures, you know, there's always that question of what's going to happen when you're not around, right? It's sorry, it's kind of grim and but what comes up for you when you think about that? Well, it's a great question, Rachel. Um, you know, my wife and I have recently put together a will and estate, actually a revocable trust, so that um, in terms of anything does happen to us, my daughter is taken care of. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the first step. Um, is to make sure that those things are in order. It's funny, we have a, a, a country home in Long Island where we happen to be right now that uh, 
I've told my daughter, uh, when mommy and daddy pass on, that's yours, you know, yours to keep in the family and do what you please with it. And she wants to move out here actually sooner than that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so at least she knows she'll have a place to stay. Mm-hmm. But I think she's very serious minded about being a cartoonist. And, you know, she's in a very good spot in that she goes to school in New York City and that her school has opportunities for internships and perhaps summer jobs. So we have those conversations with her that, look, you have extraordinary opportunities that other kids, regardless of whether they're autistic or not, simply don't have because you have, you know, the the benefit of living and going to school in New York City and the exposure to opportunities that other kids may not have. So the main thing I impress upon her is when you get an opportunity, take advantage of it. So hopefully that will help in kind of creating our legacy with her so that she's taken care of beyond our years. Mm -hmm. But it's a concern, especially since uh, we're older parents. I was 47 when she was born. My wife was 40. And you probably know that the onset of autism is particularly higher when the father is over 40. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's something that biologically seems to uh, have an impact. But I'm pretty fit and I'm not planning on going anywhere. So <laughs> yeah, I've told her I'm going to walk her down the aisle when she gets married, not in a walker or a wheelchair. All right. <laughs> What have you learned about yourself from being a father to an autistic girl? Wow, that's a great question. You know, I had some experience with children before in a prior relationship and fell in love with children. And then our daughter was a miracle to begin with, because as I mentioned, I was over 40. My wife was. We had an in vitro fertilization. The odds were against us that we would even get pregnant, let alone have a child. So our daughter is just a gift gift from God or whoever you choose to acknowledge as your higher power from the outset. So what I've learned about myself is that uh, when you have children, first of all, you, you learn that obviously to put yourself second and the children first. When you have a child that's on the autism spectrum, you learn that you have to become their fierce advocate, which means leave no stone unturned. Uh, examine every conceivable outlet, direction, solution, talk to as many people as as many parents. It almost becomes more than a right of privilege. It becomes your life. And so many parents that I know who have had autistic children, it becomes almost like a second career and a second life. And, you know, on one hand, it's incredibly rewarding because it's given me personally a higher calling that I'm not so sure I ever would have realized because um, my wife and I now have extended our interest beyond just our daughter because we want other daughters and sons of families on the autism spectrum to have access to some of the solutions that we have and some of the solutions that we've discovered are out there that are holistic and innovative and tech-oriented that can really, really help families, but are not so easy to access or be aware of. So, Yeah. Well, what do you think are some ways that society can move towards more inclusion and acceptance? 
I think it's, um, you know, they talk about, for example, April being Autism Awareness Month. It, it should really be Autism Acceptance Month. I mean, awareness is the first step, obviously, to uh, acknowledging any kind of thing or characteristic that's different. But I think acceptance is is the next step. I use the example like in the workplace, for example, you know, people used to take smoking breaks habitually. Nowadays, um, people of the Muslim faith are able to take breaks to uh, have prayer routines throughout the day. Yet if an autistic person in a working environment needs to take a break to, you know, just kind of chill out or catch their breath or walk around the room, for some reason, it's not looked at in the same way. It's kind of stigmatized. And I know in the workplace, even though I'm no expert, I've talked to a number of experts, and they all kind of say the same thing, that in this world, and in particular in the workspace, we need to stop trying to position people with autism into the buckets and containers of neurotypicals and do the reverse. We need to embrace people who are autistic for who they are, and we need to, we, the neurotypicals, need to make more accommodations and, and provide more latitude and support for them so that they can enter our world feeling fully supported. So how do you do that is obviously the $24,000 question, or with inflation now, it's probably a million-dollar question. <laughs> but um, it's by starting a movement and, and really kind of challenging work organizations and also the conversations that we have in general you know, I mean, in the last couple of years, we've seen since with Black Lives Matters and other inclusion diversity initiatives that those conversations are happening because I think we got away from that. You know, America went in a direction of castigating and marginalizing people that were different or that had different you know diversity levels, and that's corrosive for a country that prides itself on being an immigrant nation, that prides itself on assimilating and walking neck to neck, neck to neck, side by side with our brethren of different diversity groups. And those are the conversations I think that we need to have. Yeah, absolutely. And with a lot of the advocacy work you're doing, you're, like you said, you're part of this greater movement to bring more of these kinds of conversations to the foreground. So tell us about the New York City Autism Community Group that you founded or co-founded, right? Yes. So it really started from my wife and I's realization that in our own somewhat arduous journey with our daughter, where we tried a bunch of different things, some of which was very successful, that was kind of off the beaten path, experimental, you know, holistic, obviously, with the essential oils, that we soon just determined that, hey, maybe we can help other families because our discovery was most families with children on the autism spectrum, you typically kind of, oh, I don't know, circle your wagons because you think your child is so unusual and so unique, which is often the case that you and only you know what's best for your child. And sometimes we shut off the outside world and other people because we really think we're in, we're in this kind of alone. 
when we started our autism advocacy group, our moniker is we are not alone. If we really embrace the concept of community, then we can help each other out. We being other parents with children or young adults on the autism spectrum. You know, it may not be what works for us works for you, but at least if we're talking about it, at least if we're exchanging ideas and thoughts, then that's a help. And sometimes just talking about it, just sharing about it with someone else kind of alleviates this perception that we are alone, that no one else can help us. So that was sort of the, the initial thrust of our, of our community group before COVID, unfortunately, shut us down. Right. Okay. So what kinds of support have you been providing throughout the pandemic? Are you doing virtual events with the community and getting people together that way? During the pandemic, what we found was our Facebook group just grew exponentially. So we started to really spend time responding to parents and really helping them out with resources, posting articles that would help, connecting them with caregivers. And then we kind of realized it became almost like a full-time job. Eventually, we do have a plan to incorporate someone who, is, who are professional caregivers to help with our group. And we're hoping that can come out of this expo that we're planning. But um, it just became abundantly clear to us that families are really in search of answers. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of resources and information in the autism advocacy space is very fractured, decentralized, and not easy to obtain and or to navigate for sure. Mm -hmm. Got it. So we, we expect to help with that. Well, that's great. Yeah, I think now, especially having that sense of belonging to a community, to a group where people understand you is so important. Yes, that's so important. All right, Richard. So let's talk about the Expo. You've partnered with Jude Morrow, who's also a previous guest on this show to organize the New York City Autism Tech Innovation and Careers Expo. So tell us about that. Sure. It'll be on May 7th in New York City at my daughter's high school, Art and Design High School, which is a beautiful new facility about eight years old. It's an incredible school. It's an art school. It has film, television, cartooning, animation, and it's run by a wonderful principal who has an incredibly progressive program. So it's the ideal spot and location for our expo. Um, the expo really came out of a couple of things. One, I think, was the fact that our Facebook group kept coming at us with questions about resources and options, and then thinking, well, how can we bring some of what we made available to our daughter? such as uh, essential oils, a program called Brain Balance, many other things, virtual reality that you know we used with our daughter to help her with various aspects. Ultimately, when I met Jude, uh, who is obviously has incredible background and in success, he's a TED talker, run, has a seven-figure business helping small startups and and entrepreneurs, small businesses with an interest in advocacy, autism advocacy go to market. And one thing led to another. And I said, what if we could 
arrange an expo where we could bring a lot of this tech and innovation to the families of New York. And I had discovered a lot of these people. I had joined this uh, experiential networking sales and personal development group called Unblinded, which has a totally different approach on sales and networking through a process they call the formula. And through that, I started hosting online networking programs. And eventually I said, you know what? I've been looking for a way to merge my background in technology. I used to design custom software systems for the Goldman Sachs's and the Morgan Stanley's of the world. You know, what is a way that I can combine my background in technology and software with autism advocacy? And this expo turned out to be exactly that. I started meeting amazing people online like uh, George Bailey and his Z-Pods, which is an apparatus he originally was consigned to build for Walt Disney in Orlando, Florida. Looked like some kind of a space age sleeping pod, which is exactly what it was designed for and one of the spaceships. But subsequently, he repurposed it. He has two sons, two children rather, that are on the autism spectrum who have a lot of trouble sleeping. And he was able to, in partnering with some engineers, come up with this invention that helps kids on the spectrum who have sleep sleeping problems to mitigate that. You know, from other people that we met, like Jeff Miller from Potentia, who has a company that helps Matt uh, employment opportunities for people on the autism spectrum. Gentleman here in New York named Adam Kritzner, who helps autistic artists by giving them one-on-one coaching and tutelage. And my daughter has benefited from that to, I mentioned Brain Balance, which was founded by Dr. Robert Melillo, who's actually one of our keynote speakers at our conference in New York. They have 150 franchises throughout the U.S. that have helped many kids on the autism spectrum through diet and better nutrition, uh, music, activities, and other kind of workings with the body to help them kind of mitigate some of the left brain, right brain synaptical uh, disconnects that tend to be characteristic in autistic people. Just so many that I, that I've met along the way that are doing a amazing things in that space of innovation or technology. A company like Florio, who has an incredible array of uh, and catalog of virtual reality experiences that are targeted for people on the autism spectrum for anything from how to interact with a police officer to how to go on a job interview, for example. So there's just a lot of interesting resources out there that we hope to bring to the families of New York for our expo. And then eventually around the country and even around the world, this is for us not a one and done. We're looking to uh, have these expos perhaps annually in New York and then in other markets in the U.S. Oh, that's great. I mean, I think you've kind of found the perfect balance to fuse your two passions. Yes, I think I have. I'm a firm believer that technology and other People out there in that space, obviously in the blockchain and other kind of arenas that that think technology in that space is where everything is going. There's a lot of mobile apps. There's a there's a lot of really progressive 
interesting and effective solutions out there in the tech innovation space that can really help families. Yes, absolutely. If they just know about it. I mean, that's the biggest challenge. Yeah, we had we also had a podcast guest on here, Gary Jesh. He created Invirtua. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a program where he has made avatars for some of his students and he communicates through an avatar on a screen. It's kind of a way to teach social skills in an appropriate and fun way that sometimes is hard for autistic people with real actual people. Yeah. So, yeah. And we also have a partner in China with the Global Autism Project, this center in Nanjing. It's called Uplus. And he also had a background in tech and created this 3D mapping room where mm. you walk in and you can kind of choose what scene you want to be in. And so they have one where it puts you in this street so you can teach safety skills mm -hmm. and simulate stop signals and things like that in a safer environment. Yeah, those are awesome. And certainly the, the, the metaverse is a great environment to help kids on the autism spectrum because obviously it can be a place where they can go to, you know, to learn. We're definitely seeing more and more in the uh, virtual reality space and e-learning kind of coming together. There's a, a lot of organizations like Microsoft, HP, and others that really see this as the future. The future is really, truly is the metaverse. And I think it really plays well into assisting kid, kids and young adults on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Richard, the expo will be on May 7th. And by the time this podcast is um, edited and out the door, I think it will be the day before your expo. So oh. <laughs> still time enough to come out. <laughs> <laughs> But for people who maybe can't make it in person or hear this later, how can they learn more about you and what you're offering there? Well, first of all, we are doing this as a hybrid event. So if you are hearing this a day or so before, you can still sign up through our Eventbrite. Just search on NYC Autism Expo 2022 and you'll find it easily on Eventbrite. Or you can just look you can look for us, the uh, NYC Autism Community Group. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and we will be looking to do other expos. Our second one tentatively is going to be in Austin, Texas in October. Okay, great. And this being our first, you know, we we will no doubt definitely come together with Jude and others and, and, and create more of a, a formalized company and, and offering for that where people will be able to find us. But for now, New York City Autism Community Group is a good start. All right. Okay, Richard, I'd like to close with one last question. What advice would you give to other parents of autistic children? Well, that is a great question. And I guess it depends on where you are. I kind of start at the beginning saying that having autism is a gift, but all it really is is, is someone who just looks at the world in a slightly different way than we do. I mean, the best description I heard is that their brains are wired just a little bit differently. And that's 
neither good nor bad, but chances are they have some pretty special skills, but they may not be easily or readily apparent. So as a parent, we have to really understand that and understand that this is a journey that, you know, there will be fits and starts, but there is an incredible amount of enjoyment that really is just extraordinary because these are extraordinary people and they're gifted and they're very loving and don't kid yourself. They know and, and share feelings and emotions probably more so than those of us who are neurotypical. So prepare yourself for an interesting ride, but it will just be so rewarding to you ultimately that um, just stick with it. Be open-minded to trying different things. Um, and I would just offer my own viewpoint, which is in particular holistic. Look for some innovations, technology. Certainly the metaverse is out there to help in a big way. And, uh, you know, have the courage to try some things and uh, just enjoy the ride. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. Richard has created a community where families with autistic children can exchange ideas and experiences, reminding them that they are not alone. Through their upcoming expo, they hope to encourage tech and innovation discussions around careers and employment for autistic family members. Check out our show notes for a link to an updated schedule of the expo. Richard mentioned that he partnered with Jude Morrow to put together this event. You can learn more about Jude and the neurodiversity movement in episode 65. Like Richard, are you a family member hoping to support and empower your loved one? Or are you a self-advocate willing to share your story and educate others? Are you a professional seeking to hear directly from autistic voices and improve your practice? Whatever your role related to autism is, you can join our online global autism community to connect and collaborate with people all over the world. Sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at autismknowsnoborders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate the show and leave a review. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.